Amen. Thank you, church. And uh, Daniel chapter number 11. Daniel chapter number 11. Now, in the first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11, we have the pre-written history. In other words, at the time of Daniel's vision, this was not yet fulfilled. However, all of this has been fulfilled uh, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the first time when He came, and that's what we celebrate Christmas, His coming. This has all been fulfilled. Now, I'm going to give you a little uh, summary of it, if I may, and then we'll get down into uh, the meat of this chapter. Daniel is told that there would be three kings to rule after Cyrus. And the fourth was going to be richer than them all. There was Camses, he, ra- he ruled. And then after him was pseudo Smerdis. It's kind of an interesting story. He was an imposter that looked like Cambus's son. And so he kind of got the throne through trickery. That's why they called him pseudo. And of course he was removed. Darius came along. And then the fourth was Xerxes, which is Ahasuerus. That's the king that's mentioned in Esther. If you've ever read the book of Esther and you find the king, he was one of the wealthiest kings. That is that king there in Esther. Now, after these four came Alexander the Great. The Bible says it would come by one who was greater than all of them. He was 33 years old when he had control of everything. From uh, Europe to India, he controlled the whole world. But he didn't last a long time. His kingdom then was divided four ways. Now, verses 5 through 35, they give us the details of the 200 years history between the kings of the north and the kings of the south and their constant battles back and forth, back and forth. And so, just so you know who the king of the north is and who the king of the south is, and then it's pertinent for later, the north refers to Syria, which is north of Israel. It's interesting, when the Bible gives you a landmark, it's always in relation to Israel. So the king's kingdom of the north, king of the north, would be Syria, which is just north of Israel. Who was the south? South would be the king of Egypt, which is just south of Israel. Now all of this is fulfilled history, and I'm not going to go through all of the back and forth battles. You can go and read that. But I want to come fast forward down to verse number 35, and I want you to see this, and I want you to pay close attention and hang with me, because, uh, church, I want you to be encouraged today. The last sentence of verse 35 indicates that we are shifting from fulfilled prophecy to a yet for a time appointed. Notice the last sentence. It says in verse 35, "...because it is yet for a time appointed." Yet for a time appointed. Appointed. This is prophetic. This is not happening. This is future. And also, verse 36 begins to tell us of this king that is coming. This king that is mentioned is a future king. We know that there is coming an earthly king who is wicked, he's foul, he is self-grandizing, self-glorifying. And we know that king is the king called to, in the Bible, as the Antichrist. The Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4 says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 
This person will be so emboldened, he will actually sit in the temple and claim himself to be God. Now verses 36 through 39 give us the description of the Antichrist. I'd like to ask you to read with me in verse 36. Notice the Bible says, Daniel chapter 11 and verse 36, And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that it is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. This character, the Antichrist, will actually be so self-glorifying that he exalts himself above the living God. Clearly we can see the spirit of Antichrist, John tells us, is at work today. We know that the Antichrist, the person, we don't know who it is. He has not been revealed to us yet. And we believe that the church will be raptured prior to his coming. Remember, Daniel is dealing with the nation of Israel. And so from the get-go, I want you church to understand that you do not have to worry about this. I see all kinds of people worried about the vaccine coming, and I'm doing a study right now on the vaccine, and a lot of people are worried that that is a precursor to the mark of the beast. It's not. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have to worry about the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast will not come in until we are raptured and out of here. You do not have to worry about that. I see so many Christians fretting and worried about the coming troubles and, and all this political arguments and stuff going on. If you know Jesus Christ, He has promised us in Thessalonians that He will keep us from that hour. You do not have to worry about the tribulation. Now, if you have friends and loved ones that are not saved, I would be very worried for them. If you are not saved and you're watching this broadcast, be very afraid. Be very afraid. But those of us that believe in Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry. This man is not uh, going to affect us one bit. I've had people ask me before, Pastor, do you believe that the Antichrist is alive? Who do you think he is? I do not know. I don't know if he's alive. All I know is I don't have to worry about the Antichrist because I have the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart. So I don't have to worry about him. But the Bible describes for us this person, he is so foul and so wicked, he does not regard anyone, anyone's life. He's only concerned with himself and his agenda. And this is what is all this, this text is about. This is what Daniel was so distraught about. He is seeing all of this in pertaining to the nation of Israel and all that's going to happen. And it's very, as you'll see, we get into this, as we get into some of this uh, war that's going to take place, the Battle of Armageddon and so on and so forth, you'll see that it is a very, very difficult thing. Let's read in verse 38. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. Military force and strength will be his, his MO. That will be his uh, recognition. That will be his honor. 
And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. He will practice all forms of idolatry. And just interestingly enough, some people believe this man will be a Jew because it refers to the God of his fathers and etc. and so on and so forth. I do not believe he is going to be a Jew. And uh, there are other reasons, and I don't want to get into that, to that right now. But I will tell you this, that does not mean that he is a Jew. That's just any of the recognizable gods he will shun. He will invent his own gods, and eventually he will claim to be God himself. Look at verse 39. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. He will split up the land. He will organize it into some kind of political reign. He will be the head. He will be the dictator. He will be in complete control. Now when we come to verse 40, verse 40 transitions into a time when the kings of the north and the kings of the south have had enough. They've had enough of this ruler. They've had enough of his gaining popularity. And so what they're going to do is they're going to form an alliance. They're going to get this alliance to war against the Antichrist. Notice in verse number 40. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south, remember the south is Egypt, will push push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him. Remember, him is the Antichrist. Who is the him? Him is the Antichrist. North is Syria, south is Egypt, and they will push against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. At this time, at this time that this happens, the Antichrist is not in the land of Israel. But they shall start pushing and closing in and coming against many countries. And notice what he does in verse 41... He shall enter also into the glorious land, that is the land of Israel. So now he comes into Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown, all these little countries around. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom, Moab, and Ammon. Where are they? They're east. They're east. Why? I think because of the consuming battle with the north and with the south, he is not even afraid of those countries. He doesn't focus on them, but he's eager to get... To Egypt and take care of Egypt. Look at verse 42. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He will enter the glorious land, Israel, but the nations across the Jordan River to the east he will not bother, but he will conquer Libya, he will conquer Egypt, and he will conquer all of those other surrounding cities. Notice in verse number 43. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, over the precious things of Egypt. He'll plunder Egypt. Over the Libyans, the Ethiopians, shall be at his steps. He will overtake all of them. But something happens in verse 44. Something happens in verse 44 that causes him to pause. It begins with a but. He's taking over all these things and something triggers him to stop. What is that but? Tidings out of the east, out of the north, shall trouble him. 
To show contrast, he receives troubling news. Everything is going great for the Antichrist. He's conquering all these nations. But something happens that causes him to stop and to pause and to think. He receives troubling news. What troubling news does he receive? Well, hang with me. Out of the east and then the north shall trouble him. Now, what we have to do is we have to turn to Ezekiel chapter 38. If you'll turn there. And we're going to find out what this troubling news is. In Ezekiel chapter number 38, we read and we find out that there are some nations that are going to come together. Who are these nations? Well, the Bible lays out there's Persia. Persia is modern day Iran. Boy, Iran really wants to wipe Israel off the face of the map. They want to wipe America off the face of the map. We're, we're very familiar with Iran and their, their fighting ways. Ethiopia, which is northern Sudan. Libya, which is Gomer, which is modern day Turkey. Togomar, which is part of Turkey near the Syrian, you came, uh, Syrian border there. And then verse 15 says, and a nation out of the north. If you were to take a map and you would lay out that map and you would look directly due north of Israel, you will find the country Russia there. All of these nations are going to align up. And why are they going to align? What is their coming together? What is the purpose of their alignment? Look with me in verse 38 of Ezekiel. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army and horses and horsemen of all them clothed with all the sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields and all of them handling swords. So God reveals in this prophecy that He is the one that will draw this army out of the north and this confederation of, of nations together. God has orchestrated this. Look in verse 5. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya with, with them, all of them... Shield and helmet, verse 6, Gomer and all his bands in the house of Togomer and the north quarters and all his bands and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and thy company, all that are assembled unto thee, and be thou guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years. When is the latter years? It's toward the end of this current present age dispensation that we are in right now. Thou shalt come back into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel which have been always waste but is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely all of them. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and the bands and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall come to pass that at the same time shall the things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of the unwalled villages. I will go into them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates, to take spoil and take prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, 
and upon the people that gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle with goods that dwell in the midst of the land. So we read that at this time that this happens, Israel will be at an unprecedented time of peace. God forms these nations, uh, this alliance of nations together, and they're going to the Holy Land to plunder it, to take it. And they think that while the north and the south might be battling with the Antichrist, they have an opportunity to come and to gain a foothold here. It's interesting to note, I don't have to worry about this, you don't have to worry about this, because the nation of Israel is not at peace right now. They are guarded with the Israeli defense force. They are guarded with walls. They are guarded with weaponry. And in the text, when this happens, Israel will be, they'll be safely dwell without walls. There'll be no bars nor gates. How in the world could Israel reach this pinnacle? How could they have this peace? Well, I will tell you how they could have it. It is a result of the covenant with the Antichrist. Israel, at the beginning of the tribulation period, will enter into a peace covenant with the Antichrist. The Antichrist will guarantee their safety. And they will put down all their weapons, they'll put down their defense, and they'll rely upon him. They will be duped into believing that he will protect them. And so that is why all the walls are down and there's no bars and nothing is going to happen. This is all laid out in the Scripture prophetically. But God's going to intervene. As these armies are prepared to go to war against the Antichrist and Israel, He will cause a great earthquake and the mountains will fall and the earth will open up and the men in a panic will turn their swords upon each other and God will rain down disease and hailstones of fire. You say, where, where, where do you get that? Well, let me finish with this and we'll go back to Daniel. Go down to verse number 14 of Ezekiel 38. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto God, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwell safely, shalt thou not know it, and thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou with many people with thee, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army, and they shall come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, there it is, and I will bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. So they're going to descend on this place of Megiddo. I stood on the mountain of Megiddo and looked out across the valley. It is said of Megiddo that Napoleon said if ever there was a place designed for a mega war, this is the place. And I stood on that, that uh, mount and I looked across the, the valley there. And I, I could envision and you could see how the massive armies could gather there. And it will be like a cloud overtaking the city. But you know what? The end result happens when the Antichrist gets there. All the enemies are destroyed. He knows he didn't do it. But of course in his... Uh, Pride and arrogance, he claims credit, and he dupes the people that are alive at that time into believing he supernaturally did it. This may be what gives him total control over the earth. They get there and the battle's already won. 
Notice with me, let's go back to chapter 12 if we could. Daniel chapter 12. We're moving from 11 to chapter 12. This, is a, this teaching is, and I'll pull it together if you hang with me. I know they're going back and forth, a lot of going back and forth, but it's, I want you to see this. Daniel chapter number 12. Let me read the last bit. Verse 45 of 11. I forgot to read it. And he shall plant, he, he is the uh, Antichrist. He shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas. What seas is he talking about? The Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Where is that? It's in the glorious land, the holy mountain, Israel, Jerusalem more specifically. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. Now we come to verse uh, 1 of chapter 12. Notice what all has happened here. This is this big war that's, that's taken place. Verse 1, And at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. Michael who has been dispatched to defend Israel in that spiritual unseen battle. He stands up. And notice what he says, And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The Bible teaches us that when this takes place, that Michael is dispatched to stand on behalf of Israel in this unseen battle, and he he fights for Israel. Why? Because the Bible says it's about to be the worst it's ever been. As a matter of fact, would you turn with me to Matthew? Matthew chapter number 24. Jesus spoke about this in the Olivet Discourse. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, He says this, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. Jesus goes back to the prophecy of Daniel. And He says, When you see the Antichrist walk in and sit in the temple, who stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Verse 16, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor even shall be. And except those days be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Jesus points back to the prophecy of Daniel and says, When you see the Antichrist walk into the temple and sit in the temple, sit in the temple, this is about to become the worst it's ever been. Now, that happens. And it's interesting that Daniel is given three, 
or He's given a resurrection. I went through the Scripture and I wanted to place in order chronologically the resurrections as they take place. Now, I'm not talking about Lazarus. I'm talking about, number one, the resurrection of Jesus. That's found in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 15. Number two, the resurrection of the church. Remember when the rapture takes place, the Bible says that we will not precede them that are asleep. Those bodies that have gone to the grave, when the church is raptured out, those bodies will be resurrected. They will be changed into a glorified body. And the body and the soul will be reunited and we'll meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be. That's the second resurrection. The third resurrection is at the end of the tribulation period when the Old Testament saints and those who died during the tribulation period are resurrected. There's a second part to this resurrection. The resurrection of the unjust that takes place after the second coming of Jesus Christ, after the millennium, at the great white throne judgment, when they're immediately death and hell give up her dead, and immediately those, the unjust, are cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. Those are the resurrections. The resurrection that Daniel is talking about right now is the resurrection of Old Testament saints and those faithful during the tribulation period, the ones that didn't turn to God and didn't take the mark of the beast. Now notice what he says in verse number 3, Daniel chapter 12. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal up the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. You think about this, to and fro, we can go anywhere instantly. You can get on an airplane in the same day and be in a different country. Interestingly enough, knowledge has increased. You can Google just about anything. Now, I, wouldn't, I would caution you to question that knowledge, but nonetheless, knowledge has increased. We're moving ever so close to that day. Notice what happens in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood two other, the one on this side of the bank of the river, and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? There are three heavenly beings, one on one side, one on the other, one in the middle. And the one on one side asked the one in the middle, When are these things going to happen? When will this end? Verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen which was upon the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. There are two things given in this verse about the end. There are two things that have to happen. Number one... This will go so long as it takes for the nation of Israel to repent. For those to turn back to God. When he raised his right hand, some have said, some scholars, I don't know this, but some scholars said that is exactly what they've done, Israel's done to God in not accepting Messiah. They've raised their hand to God. Not in reverence, but in defiance. But it will be for a time when you have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, and all these things shall be finished. The second indication he gives us of the end will be it will last 
three and one half years. That is a time, a times, and a half. That equates three and one half years from the time that the Antichrist walks into the temple and declares himself to be God and sits in the temple. That is three and one half years. And those three and one half years will be the worst that have ever been on the face of the earth. The Bible says there's no time ever like it. And I tell you right now, if you're alive today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you die having rejected the free gift of salvation, and you will face God in the judgment. And you will be at the end cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. If you're left on this earth and the church is raptured out and you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior and the church is raptured out, you will be here during this tribulation period. I have studied prophecy and I have not found a clear indication in Scripture that the United States of America will be a superpower in end-time prophecy. The Bible does not teach that clearly. Some speculate there's reference in the Old Testament to the eagle. And our national bird is the eagle. I I don't think that is correct. And a lot of people today are more concerned. Now listen to me. I'm patriotic. I love the United States of America. I served and I, I would serve again. I love it. But a lot of people think that America not being a superpower is the end of the world. Let me tell you, the end of the world is when the Antichrist stands and he has done all this and all hell has broken loose. The end of the world is this. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are in this, you won't be raptured out with the church, you're left in this tribulation period and you think it's bad now because you can't go to the movies and the football games and do what you want to do, you will not stand a chance when he rules with an iron fist, the Antichrist. When you have to take the mark of the beast to to determine whether you can buy medicine or food. You think it's bad now. You haven't seen anything. And I'm telling you this because it's important to know that the end of the world, as, as you would know it, I should say, is when you stand before God and you're cast into the lake of fire forever and ever simply because you refuse to take the free gift of salvation. That's it. That's much more severe than anything that we're going through today. Now church, listen to me. If you know Jesus Christ, this is as bad as it gets. What you're going through right now, this pandemic, is as bad as it gets. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is as bad as it gets. We have heaven. We have eternal bliss. We have an eternity with God in heaven. No sorrow, no suffering, no pain. This pandemic we're going through and all of the tragedies and all the the trials that we're facing right now, this is as bad as it gets. And each day as we step toward these events unfolding, these have not happened yet, and we step toward these events, each day we're one day closer, one moment closer. 
And it stands to reason, if we're one moment closer to these events happening, that the rapture could happen at any moment. We could be taken out at any moment. Verse 8. See the conclusion of the book of Daniel. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Daniel heard all this, but he didn't understand it. Daniel couldn't just pull out the copy of the Old Testament and flip through the Scriptures and compare what Ezekiel said. He couldn't go to the New Testament and see all the fulfilled prophecies and understand. Notice what he is told in verse number 9. He said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. But know this, Daniel, many shall be purified and made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly. Let me just tell you this. Even though we're in this last dispensation, wicked people do wicked things. We should not expect wicked people to do righteous things. We should expect righteous people to do righteous things. But not wicked. And it's only going to get worse. The Bible says in 2 Timothy in the last days, uh, the perilous times shall come. We're told in passages of Scripture that evil will wax worse and worse. And none, notice this, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. In the, in the tribulation period, the church is raptured out, but those left here, those wicked will not understand, and those who are wise will understand. They will turn to the Lord. It will be difficult. You'll never have the better chance than you have right now to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't put it off. Verse 11. And he says, Daniel, listen. From the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, when the Antichrist goes into the temple and he, he, uh, <clears throat> he stops all of the, the Jewish sacrifices and celebrations and feasts, he stops all of that shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, that's where he sits down and declares himself to be God. Notice what he says. There shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Twelve hundred ninety days. If you take the Jewish calendar for twelve hundred and ninety days, if you take... Um, three and one half years, divide that by 360 days in a year for the Jewish calendar, you come up with 1,260. You say, yeah, but that's 1,290. Where are the 30 days? The 30 days are allowed extra for the judgments that take place. The judgment of the Old Testament saints and the judgment of those who are faithful during the tribulation period where they're rewarded. The numbers add up. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand and three hundred and five and thirty days. This is what he says here. He says, blessed. Blessed. The ones in the tribulation period who endure to the end, they're blessed. But notice what he says in verse 13. But go thou way, go thou thy way, till the end be. For thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot 
at the end of the days. This angelic being says, listen, let me tell you what's going to happen. What's going to happen is the wicked are going to do wicked. And the wise are going to understand. And the wicked are going to be so bound up in their wicked that they're not going to turn to the Lord and they're going to continue. And this is going to start when the daily sacrifice is taken away. When the Antichrist goes in and sets up his his kingdom in there in Jerusalem in the temple. But Daniel, don't you worry. You're going to rest and you're going to stand in the lot at the end of days. You're not just going to go to the grave and be there. Your body is going to the grave, but your soul won't. Your soul will be with God in paradise. And in the last days, you'll stand. This is not the end for you, Daniel. Why? Because Daniel was a man of faith. God tells Daniel he can rest and reassures him he will be resurrected. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can rest in the promises. You don't have to fret. You can turn off the news. It doesn't matter what the news says because if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to be just fine. You don't have to worry about all these wars. You don't have to worry. And church, listen, I'm telling you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is as bad as it gets. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is as good as it gets on this earth. And Daniel sees all this and he looks ahead and it's overwhelming to him. And it's appointed for a time yet to come. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't, I would like to invite you to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches us that all of us have sinned. And because we've sinned, we deserve to die. Every one of us has sinned. I don't have to convince you that. You know you've sinned. And I don't have to convince you uh, anything. The Bible tells me and tells all of us that the wages of sin is death. Because you've sinned, you deserve to die. I deserve to die. The punishment, the penalty for sin is death. Someone has to die for your sin. Someone has to die for my sin. But that's where it gets great because the Bible teaches us that God loved us so much, He was willing to send His Son to die for us. But God commendeth. That word commendeth means demonstrated. God demonstrated His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't ask you to clean yourself up. He didn't ask you to turn over a new leaf. He says, when you were at your worst, when you were a sinner, Jesus died for you. He knew every sin you would ever commit and He died for you. Knowing that. Every bad thought you would ever have. He knew it. And He went to the cross for it. And they took Him off the cross and they buried Him. And He came out of the grave on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And I want to tell you this. By the same power He resurrected If you will turn to Jesus Christ and believe in Him, trust Him to take you to heaven by that same power that He was resurrected from the grave, that He will take you to heaven if you believe on Him. You'll be saved. I'd like to ask you to, I'd like to help you come to that. I would like to ask you to pray with me and and believe in your heart that Jesus died for you personally, that He was buried, He arose from the grave, and if you turn to Him and believe Him, He'll save you. You can pray like this. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I realize I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I deserve to die. But I believe you died in my place. I want you to come into my life. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I'm trusting in you and what you did on the cross alone to take me to heaven. I understand I can't work to get there. I'm just believing you. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I believe you're saved and I'd like to hear from you. You can send me a private message to the church page or you can send me a private message uh, to my personal page. You can call me. My phone number is 740-352-9091. God bless you. We thank you. We love you. And I'm asking you to uh, continue to uh, keep being who you are, doing what you're doing.